Hello, everyone, and welcome to the B-Ball Index podcast. I am your host, Cranjus McBasketball. You can find me on Twitter at Tim underscore NBA. We're back. The NBA's back. The NBA had a hiatus. We had a hiatus. You haven't heard uh, one of these podcasts in a while, but that's because we were in the lab working on stuff. We have a lot of new content. We have new player profiles for over 500 players. We're working on uh, every season from 2013 to last year to add into that as well. Um, we've redone some of our talent grades. Uh, if you check out those player profiles, we have over, oh my goodness, what is it? Is it more than a couple hundred metrics per player? Um, so there's been a lot of work going on behind the scenes, and I am here today to introduce some of that new stuff. Um, but I didn't want to just make this academic and say, oh, you know, here's our three-point shot quality metric, yada, yada. I'd like to apply it. And perfect time of year. We're seeing the playoffs. We have a game seven coming between Houston and Oklahoma City, and then the winner of that game will play the Lakers. Um, so me as a Lakers fan, I was already looking at some of this stuff. I have been writing up an article that I'll drop if if Houston wins, because it's been uh, geared towards Houston. Uh, if Houston wins, it'll be dropping as soon as they win game seven. Uh, I've been working on a video to go along with that, um, but I wanted to have this podcast where we approach things more from, you know, that's the backdrop, but I want to focus on the data. And I want to introduce some of the new concepts we've been working on. We have talent badges now, like 2K. Um, so there's a lot of cool stuff. Let's, uh, I guess, start with Oklahoma City-Houston because that's that's what's in front of us next. That's our Game 7. Um, and I'd like to do so just by pointing out some of the interesting numbers that I found by looking through the player profiles that we have. In our leaderboards tool, where you can pretty much query things, you can say, all right, who are the best players in our contact finishing rate uh, among guards or wings or bigs who play this offensive role, this defensive role, who are on these teams, this conference, in the bubble, out of the bubble. Uh, I only want to look at this for players who have made, I don't know, two threes a game or who also have an above average pickpocket rating. So all, all kinds of different combinations that you can do to find interesting results and look for players at the top or at the bottom or just say hey I want to look at the the I don't know the Clippers I want to see the entire Clippers team for guys who have played at least 250 minutes or 10 minutes a game or whatever um, in two or three or four metrics at a time so from using that I compiled some notes um, and let's let's just walk through those so one of the three talent grades that we have redone so far uh, has been our perimeter shooting. We've done perimeter shooting, we have done finishing, and we have done playmaking. In the past, we had just a, you know, a finishing talent grade, and with that, we were hoping to analyze a player's ability to get to the rim and finish at the rim, uh, neutral of their their situation, neutral of their context. But by only producing just that one metric, there leaves ambiguity. Um, I, I think it's still good to have those overall talent grades, um, but by not having the components, which we were already calculating behind the scenes, and, and we have improved and we have changed, um, by not putting them out there as well, you could look at two players who have the same finishing grade, but have vastly different ways of getting there. So that's why we have, in redoing these, produced some extra metrics. So for playmaking, I think there's like an extra five or six for perimeter shooting, there's another five or six. For finishing, we have another two or three. Um, and, and when we look to perimeter shooting, so three-pointers, 
Uh, one of them is three-point shot quality, which is looking at how open you are, um, when you're when you're contested, you know, how tight of a contestant is it, what percentage of your shots are coming just completely wide open, the distance on your shots. Um, so this hits at, are you shooting corner threes or above the break threes? It also hits at, you know, Dame Lillard's taking really, really long three-pointers. This will capture that. Um, whether your shots are from catching and shooting or off the dribble, because we know from the data, and, and I mean, if you play basketball, you'll know it is more difficult to shoot those off the dribble shots or just, just from a general sense, from a percentages standpoint, those will go in less frequently. So that's taken into account. And then we also have some estimates that we use to gauge whether a player is taking their shots from stationary positions or off of movement. Um, because if you're sprinting into a catch and shoot immediately, like your Kyle Korver, that's more difficult than if you're standing still in the corner, catching and shooting a three. So with all of those things accounted for, uh, we can see, you know, what quality of shots, uh, our players getting. Um, let me, let me pull up the actual leaderboard. So bear with me for a moment. Um, let's see three point shot quality. Let's take a look at everybody, but just some notable names in very first place, the easiest threes, we have PJ Tucker in last place, taking the hardest threes. We have his teammate, James Harden. And this is a funny comparison to me because one, these guys are on the same team Two, on the season, on the regular season, PJ Tucker, I think his three-point percentage was either 0.3 points above or below James Harden. They were like 35.5 and 35.8. So if your perception of perimeter shooting, of, of three-point shooting, is just raw three-point percentage, you can look at those two players and say, oh, they're about as good. Um, and, and of course, you know that's not the case. If you're watching the games, you know that's not the case. And we've been able to quantify that um, by you know capturing this shot quality. And we use that when comparing with performance on three-pointers to get to our shot-making rating. Um, so our three-point shot-making, you can find this on all the player profiles. You can find this on our uh, leaderboards tool. I'm pulling it up on the leaderboards tool right now. We can see a guy like PJ Tucker. He has the easiest threes, but he's underperforming them. His 35% that's, that's not what you'd expect for somebody getting as easy of threes as he is. So he actually has a D-plus three-point shot-making rating because of that. Now, there are players who get easy threes and, and kill it on them. Um, but a lot of these players that are being left wide open are being left open for a reason. And they might put up three-point percentages higher than we might expect uh, for someone of their talent just because they're, they're open more often. On the opposite end of the spectrum, you have guys like Luka Doncic, who's taking really, really hard threes. Um, his percentages aren't great. He's creating a lot of his own shots, um, but his shot making, his three point shot making, is only a C. He's he's a good three point shooter, and he's the value he's adding as a perimeter shooter is being able to create those shots because um, they're still efficient offense. But he isn't overperforming to the same degree as someone like Dame Lillard, who's in the 99th percentile three point shot making. James Harden, 99th percentile. Uh, Davis Bertans, the best one out there. Chris Paul. D'Angelo Russell, Trey Young, Zach Levine, Jason Tatum. These are guys who are up there when it comes to outperforming what we would expect because they're really good uh, shot makers. Actually, Bertanza wasn't number one. I think he's number two. Duncan Robinson, number one in our three-point shot making. I'm going to take a, a sip of some apple cider for a second. It's much harder to talk for 
half an hour straight. Um, so when we're looking at perimeter shooting, we have shot quality. We have shot openness, which is which is a piece of shot quality, but not the whole thing. We have a metric for that. We have our shot making. Uh, we have three-point shot creation, which is looking at not just are you taking threes, but are you creating those threes? Are they unassisted? So we look at the rate of those unassisted threes taken per 100 possessions on the court offensively. And then we also look at the percentage of your three-point attempts that are unassisted versus assisted. So I'm going to pull up that one. And it takes like four seconds to pull these things up. Um, we see in terms of the, the top of the leaderboard, James Harden, number one. Luka Doncic, number two. Trey Young, Dame Lillard, Kemba Walker, Devontae Graham, um, D'Angelo Russell, Zach Levine, Chris Paul, Spencer Dinwiddie. These are guys who are creating their own three-point attempts. And that adds value. Now, they may not hit them at all. That's not what this is measuring. This is only measuring if you're creating those attempts. So when you see Giannis Antetokounmpo up in the 96th percentile for this, it's, it's no reason to get upset. It's not saying that he is a 96th percentile three-point shooter. It's saying that in terms of creating those shots, that's where he is. This is telling you what's happening. It doesn't necessarily answer why it's happening. And you may have guys creating their own shots because they have to in the offense or because that's how the offense is designed or because they're poor decision makers, all sorts of different things. But that is what this metric is, is measuring. So turning our eye back to Oklahoma City, Houston, for our three-point shot quality metric, uh, we talked James Harden first. I'm sorry, James Harden last, P.J. Tucker first. Um, on the regular season, Tucker's raw three-point percentage was actually three it was 0.3% higher than Harden, so that's interesting. When we get to our three-point shot-making metric, James Harden is sixth on that list. Danilo Gallinari is eighth, and we saw him hit several in game six. Terrence Ferguson is sixth lowest. Eric Gordon is actually eighth lowest among players with 500-plus minutes this season. So that is that is concerning. If I'm a Houston fan and we just invested, what, is he, what does he have, like a four-year deal? Um, one, two, three, four, eight figures a year, Eric Gordon, he is not performing in the one area that you would expect him to be performing. Not just from a percentage standpoint, but accounting for the shot quality he's getting, he is not performing. And we know that from our three-point shot making metric. If we look at three-point foul drawn rate, which is something James Harden is well known for, hey, you know what? He's ranked first in this metric. Um, among players this season that that uh, made at least one three-pointer per game, 185 of them. So this just we wanted to get rid of guys who just aren't taking threes because you might have some weird small sample size numbers there. But among guys who made at least one three a game, so almost 200 of them, James Harden ranked first in terms of the percentage of those attempts that he drew a shooting foul. So, I mean, another number that is capturing what we're seeing. It's capturing concepts that we've spoken about and that people talk about daily, um, but but now able to quantify it. If we look at our finishing um, talent grade and in the way that we've redone that, really what we've looked at is, is splitting out getting to the rim. And I'm going to pull these up as I'm talking. Getting to the rim and finishing at the rim. And part of finishing at the rim is... Uh, taking their performance and then comparing that with uh, how, again, how high their difficulty was. Um, and, and in our finishing section on our, our player profiles, it's more than just those two or three metrics. 
we have five, seven, nine, eleven. We have thirteen different metrics analyzing a player's ability to get to and finish at the rim, looking at how they're passing in those situations as well, looking at how they draw, how well they draw fouls, how well they finish through contact, um, all of these different things. Shot difficulty at the rim, we have something for that. So we know James Harden, ninety seventh percentile in terms of his shot difficulty at the rim. So that that is good context for his. 62nd percentile field goal percentage at the rim, which, you know, that's a B minus that doesn't scream, Hey, I'm elite. But when you consider how difficult the shots are that he's taking, that gets his finishing at the rim rating all the way up to the 91st percentile on a grade. Um, so he's an a there in terms of getting to the rim. This again is similar to the three pointers. We are looking at how often you're creating those shots at the rim. So I don't care if you stand next to the rim all day and you just finish dump offs, this will not reward you for that. And we do have other metrics in that finishing uh, section that will help you just by looking at them, realize whether or not that's how a player is getting those shots at the rim. But this metric, the getting to the rim rating is looking at the unassisted shots at the rim uh, per hundred possessions on the court. Um, and, in in we can ascertain that through some different ways. We look at the the percentage that they're making that are unassisted versus versus assisted, and then we can look at the play types and the different ways that they're getting to their shots to try to figure out if it's unassisted or not. So we're looking at that, and then also looking at the percentage of the shots taken at the rim that are unassisted. So pretty much the same as three-point shooting, just for shots at the rim. Uh, again, James Harden, 99.9th percentile in, in terms of getting to the rim. Uh, if we look at some of the other top players, Russell Westbrook, that's a no-brainer. Der- Derek Rose this season, Dame Lillard, Drew Holiday, LeBron James, Spencer Dinwiddie, again, another name that keeps popping up. Luka Doncic, Zach Levine, John Morant. Those are some of your top guys. Darren Fox is up there. Trey Young is up there. Giannis, of course, is up there. On the other end of the spectrum, you have guys who, like Mikel Bridges, is, is not creating offense for himself at the rim. Willie Cauley-Stein He'll shoot shots at the rim. He's a big guy, but not ones that he's creating. Nerlens Noel, Thon Maker, Maxi Kleber, Kleba, uh, Brandon Clark is an interesting name down at the bottom. Brooke Lopez, Ben McLemore, Daniel Tice. So just looking at the top and the bottom, I think you'll recognize some of those names. You'll see how this can fit into that eye test that we have. And we take that, we combine that with our finishing at the rim rating, and then we're able to get to our overall finishing talent grade. Um, but again, like I said before, this is now allowing us to look at this from both of those perspectives and allow you to break out the, those component ratings to get a better sense for who is good and bad in which areas. Um, when looking at just, just sorting by players in terms of how well they get to the rim, and then looking at their finishing at the rim rating at the same time, which is something you can do in our leaderboards tool, all 10 of the players that are, all, all, all of the top 10 in terms of getting to the rim also have at least A- minus finishing at the rim ratings. But then in 11th, we have Malcolm Brogdon, who gets to the rim very well, but then has an F, 13th percentile finishing at rim rating. So I think that's interesting. Some guys can get there and, and can't finish. Some guys don't get there all that well, but finish pretty well when they're there, consider, even considering how difficult the shots they are, uh, are that they're taking. So there are just countless insights that you can come up with looking at these things, combining these different metrics, saying, hey, I want to look at players this offseason and free agency that are good at this and that. Boom. Pop it up on our leaderboards tool.
we also have another metric called contact finish rate. And this is another new stat for an old concept. This is looking at the percentage of the time a player is drawing a two-point shooting foul. And the, the, the percentage of that time that they're drawing that foul, that they're able to still score through the contact and get to the and one instead of two free throws. If somebody slaps LeBron on the wrist and it's not called, there's no way for us to capture that. There's no way to measure that. But we can look at when players are fouled to proxy, you know, they, they're, they're actually, they're, they're definitely getting contacted. There's contact there. How often are they finishing through that and scoring nonetheless? Chris Paul, another guy in this OKC Houston series, his rate of finishing through the contact is 47%, second best in the league and first among guards. That's crazy high. Almost one out of two times you're fouling him, he's he's still scoring. Um, so I, I, things like that are just really interesting to me. We see guys like James Harden who he draws a ton of contact on drives. He's getting to the foul line, but he's actually pretty average at finishing through the contact. Um, so I, I think that's another interesting metric to take a look at. Um we talked about how we have the, the difficulty finishing the difficulty at the rim, finishing at rim, getting to the rim, all of those different things. Um, in addition, I should mention this with our perimeter shooting. If you look back at the profiles, you can also see uh, all of those different components. So how open they are, their average three point shot distance. Um, you can look at ratios of catch and shoot to pull up or corner threes to above the break shots. Um, you can look at we have our three point gravity on here in three-point gravity per 75 possessions. We have three-point foul rate. We have three-point attempt rate. Um, and then we have percentages by pull-ups, catch and shoot, above the break, corner threes, and then overall. You might have a player where their overall three-point percentage is quite low, but they actually have high uh, ratings, high values for all of those different areas when it comes to, you know, hey, they shoot well on pull-up threes. They shoot well on catch-and-shoot threes. They shoot well on above-the-break threes. But their three-point percentage overall is low, and that would be because of the shot selection that they have. To their own fault or not, whether it's them, their decision-making, the offense, whatever, we can see guys who are proficient three-point shooters who are just taking harder shots. And just looking at those basic numbers, you can you can discern that, and, and we've added in the advanced metrics to help uh, derive those sorts of insights as well. The third of our talent grades that we've redone is playmaking. And along with that, I believe we have one, two, three, four. We have five different component ratings going into our playmaking. Um, and this is another one we can we can use to take a look at the Houston OKC series. If we look at the Rockets and we just look at if you line all their players up or you look at them on the leaderboard and, and filter only down to their players and you look at these five metrics or six if you include the overall talent grade, it's pretty clear that they have two very elite finishers. I'm sorry, playmakers. And then they have a lot of guys who just aren't that. Um, but you can see more. It's not just, hey, they're good overall or they're bad overall. We can see that guys like Daniel House, Robert Covington, and P.J. Tucker in addition to Harden and Westbrook, are finding high-quality creation looks for their teammates. Um, and, and when I talk about our, our passing creation quality metric, this is really looking at assist location. It's looking at conversion rates on potential assist data um, while adjusting for those shooters. And we're seeing that those players, my interpretation of this is those players are finding high-quality looks for their teammates. 
But then when we look at our passing creation volume metric, which is looking at potential assists per 100 possessions on court offensively, they're all Fs for those three players. So low volume, high quality, from watching their offense, we know that they end up in a lot of four-on-three scramble drills where they're just making really simple passes, where it's, I, you know, Harding kicks it out to the corner, and there's, then there's the, the, the one more pass, kick out, pass, pass, um, or drive, pass, pass, where Harden drives, kicks it to the corner, they pass it over to the wing when there's only one defender over there, he closes out to the corner, and then the wing has a wide-open shot. Easy passes, simple passes, high-quality passes, or when they attack... Uh, let's say you double team Harden, or they run a ball screen and ball screen, and you you double him, or you blitz him, or you uh, run a hard hedge, and they get the ball out to Jeff Green, who is, uh, or we'll say PJ Tucker in the short roll, and they again have a four on three, and and then he's able to pass it to somebody who's running to the rim to dunk. Those are high quality looks, but these guys are getting it on low volume. Um, we can look at we have our passing efficiency metric, which looks at uh, efficiency both in terms of possession so it looks at bad pass turnovers and then it also looks at how often or not how often but how much a player is holding on to the ball this is their, their ball control percentage is what we like to say so among the five players on the court for the Rockets when on offense when the ball's in someone hand, someone's hands so we're ignoring when the ball's in the air we're ignoring passes when the ball's actually in one of those five players hands how often is it in the hands of Russell Westbrook, Westbrook, or Jeff Green, or Ben McLemore, whoever. That factors into passing efficiency as well. And we see that for a player like Rajon Rondo, who, despite being very efficient, since he's just dribbling the air out of the ball, it, it shows up in these metrics. And, and I think that's really interesting to see. But when it comes to passing efficiency, Westbrook's been very good. Harden's been okay. Eric Gordon's been okay. Rivers and Covington have been poor. So we know from Covington, low volume, high quality but low efficiency, he's making those same four-on-three passes. He's just maybe not as good of a uh, decision-maker in those situations. But P.J. Tucker, he's got a B in his passing efficiency along with his A-minus passing quality. So he's one of those better split-second, there's a guy closing out to me, I need to find the open man passers. But another thing that really matters when it comes to playmaking and how we evaluate players as playmakers has to do with what I, what we are calling passing versatility. Really, how, how big is the bag that you have as a passer? How wide-ranging is your repertoire? And we're looking at pass-out data from different play types. We're looking at assist location data. Um, and from that, determining, okay, if you're up at the tippy-top of this list, you're probably a player who is able to drive and kick, is able to uh, play, uh, you know, you do skip passes. Is able to, um, you know, be shooting outlet passes into transition, um, passing ahead, putting those post entries in there. All of those different things. If you're lower on this list, you're probably just making those simple passes around the perimeter. We're not really going to reward you for that. So we see guys like Harden and Westbrook in the top tier when it comes to passing versatility. Then Eric Gordon is in, I believe, the third tier. And then Daniel House, Austin Rivers, and Robert Covington, they have D pluses. They're, they're lower. They're not making those hard passes. They might be able to make those simple passes, and every now and then they might make a they might drive and kick or they might do a skip pass, but they're not they just don't have the same repertoire as, as those other players. 
And then when it comes to P.J. Tucker, Jeff Green, and Ben McLemore, they're in the bottom tier. They're only making simple passes. They're making the simple read. If you watch them on film, I, I looked and, and watched every single Jeff Green assist this season. So many of them are, he gets the ball in the short roll, and then he passes it to the first player he sees open in front of him, and that is it. He's not, this isn't Peyton Manning making three or four reads. Um, he's not going through progression. He's C-man, pass to man, if they're right in front of him, and it's it's a lower form of playmaking. Um, so passing versatility, efficiency, quality, and volume is what we're looking at. And then we also include scoring gravity. It's absolutely not weighted nearly as highly as any of the other four, but your ability to get the defense's attention and have them respect you as a scorer and then be able to pass out and find those open men is something to consider with playmaking. If we have Rajon Rondo doing what he does and then we have an alternate reality Rajon Rondo where he's an elite scorer, that elite scorer will probably end up being a better playmaker. So that is something that we are capturing with this. And we're again, we're using our gravity plus data, which we've talked about in previous podcasts, looking at efficiency and volume from all the different parts around the court. Um, for this, we're just averaging their data for shooting at the rim, mid-range, and three-pointers. Um, so if somebody's really, really good at the rim, but not good from mid-range or three-pointers, that'll drag them down a little bit. Um, you may be wondering, hey, what about James Harden? He doesn't shoot mid-range. He does a little bit. He's actually in the 99.9th percentile with scoring gravity, so it didn't quite hurt him in that regard. Um, but taking these five things, we then look at what we're saying is our overall playmaking talent grade. Um, through these five, we are looking at volume, quality, efficiency, versatility, your scoring gravity. Through these, we're able to make some of those adjustments for who are the teammates that you're working with um, and some of those contextual factors. If you're a great playmaker on a, a crappy team, this won't really count against you. Um, if you're an okay playmaker on an awesome team and you're just passing to guys who are just going to create crazy shots, you're not going to be rewarded for that with how we do this math. So this is something that I'm pretty happy with um, and you can already find in our player profiles. Uh, among all of our different playmaking metrics, you can find it in our leaderboards tool. It's in our talent grade uh, data and tools. Um, and just looking at, let me pull up the leaderboard. I want to take another sip of my apple cider. So when we just look at the top playmakers, just we'll, let's do top 10 or so. LeBron James, Trey Young, Luka Doncic, James Harden, Ricky Rubio, who's a great signing this offseason, Russell Westbrook, TJ McConnell, who certainly has some weak points, but also is a pretty legit playmaker. Spencer Dinwiddie, a name that for the third time in a row we've seen. Drew Holiday, Devin Booker's on here, Chris Paul, Ben Simmons, Nikola Jokic, John Morant, um we see those elite playmakers show up at the top of this list. And I think that's because one, we're doing the right adjustments for context. And then two, we're being more comprehensive in terms of what we're incorporating into this. It's, it's not just volume. It's not just quality. It's not just efficiency. It's all of these things. We're also incorporating that versatility, which I think is a key component to this, that 
really speaks to the talent of the passer, um, including that scoring gravity. And, and I'm really happy with the, the finished product that we have. So check that out. Leaderboard tool, player profiles, inner or t- talent, grades and tools, all of that stuff. Um, so those are the three uh, talent metrics that we have redone. We spent, what, about half an hour talking about these? Um, let's talk about badges. Because I know that, I mean, 2K is a game has plateaued a little bit uh and and you can i mean people play it for different reasons get different things out of it i am less of the hey i want to play online i haven't really played much online since the year that i I worked on the playbooks and was able to just run some i knew all the best plays so i was able to put up i think it was like 50 and 2 or 50 and 3 um just because i knew which plays to run and, and how to make all the reads and i'm not that great of a 2k player but that year was a lot of fun but normally i'm in there doing my dynasty mode or whatever and a concept that's always intrigued me and is right in line with, with our brand of looking, trying to look at talent and looking at opportunity and situation and all of that are the badges that they give players. Um, where they say, hey, you are gold or silver or bronze level as, I don't know, at boxing out or at finishing through contact or all of those different things. And this is a concept that I really enjoyed, but looking at the execution of how they do it and, and actually speaking to the people that currently work on those and in the past have worked on those, they face a lot of challenges in terms of, remember, they're an entertainment product and it benefits them to have players like in RJ Barrett, who has 19 badges last time I checked. Um, for us, he has zero badges so far because he's, right now he's not all that good. Um, but but he's still a promising player. He has some, some, he shines in a couple different areas. He may be a 19 badge guy in the future, but Right now, he's not. But for them, if they need to sell to the New York market, they may be skewed a little bit towards working towards that or, or saying, all right, this guy's overall needs to be this level. What sort of badges do we need to back into to, to justify that? Um, you also have, with how they do it, they're using simpler data that I just wouldn't recommend. They have some of it that's just eye test stuff, which is really difficult. And again, combining the fact that it's so manual along with the fact that they need to be selling these games, you're put in a position where bigger market teams probably, and and David, I've had them admit this to me, will get more attention. Um, So in that sense, it's not really equitable. It's not necessarily fair. And it's much more of a lagging indicator than a leading indicator. And so what we set up were badges that we would be able to update as the season progresses, it wouldn't be, hey, this guy had a great first month and then tailed off, but we didn't, we weren't watching, so we don't know. Um, updating as we go along. And as of right now, I think we have 24 different badges set up um, where we have gold, silver, and bronze levels. And it's looking at real data. It's looking at advanced data. Um, and it, it automatic, automatically calculated. So we're able to get proper representation of all the different teams. Um, right now, the badges skew a little bit more heavily towards offense than defense. So when we add up the badge points that we have, and we use the Olympic model where gold is five points, silver is three, bronze is one. When you add them up, there's a pretty strong correlation with uh, team performance as a whole, and they're also a little bit stronger towards team offensive performance when you look at the offensive badges. Um, but just looking at those, that is another thing that we can use to analyze some of the players in the series and 
in five seconds look at something and know where a player's where, where a player's key strengths are or, or where some of their specialized skills are. So, for example, we can look at Chris Paul, who has a gold pickpocket badge, meaning he's getting a lot of those on-ball steals. He has a silver interceptor badge. He's getting he's playing the passing lanes very well. He's getting deflections. He's picking off bad passes. Um, we have, uh, let's see, Russell Westbrook. He has a gold playmaking whiz badge. He is an elite playmaker. We have a one-man wrecking crew badge, which looks at how often these guys are creating their own offense. Chris Paul and James Harden are, are gold in that. We have a difficult shots badge, which looks at pull-up twos and pull-up threes, um, both in terms of volume and efficiency and really trying to go for like a points-over-expectation sort of model. Um, you have James Harden's a gold. Chris Paul's a gold. Ben McLemore's a, actually a bronze there. Shea Gilgis-Alexander's a silver. Uh, when we talk about shooters and in, in, in the different shooting badges we have, we have corner specialists, a catch and shoot badge, that difficult shots badge. We have pick and popper badge. We have a dead eye badge, which is uh, looking at players who shoot well while contested. Um, and we see a lot of those like Danilo Gallinari, gold catch and shoot, gold pick and popper. Uh, who else is interesting in here? I, I have a bunch of guys pulled up. Um, Markeith Morris bronze corner specialist silver catch and shoot uh it's it's really easy and and actually we also have these aggregated at the team level which i'll look at in a second um but this is a really quick cheat sheet to know what does a player do well and do often um in the way we have these set up you have to be proficient in the area that we're talking about but then we also get rid of low sample size guys and we get rid of guys who don't really fit what the badge is trying to look at um, we have a nuclear upside badge, which looks at a game-by-game box-plus-minus performance for players and sees which players have the highest percentage of their games that are just like outlier, uh, like they went they went nuclear, they took over a game. And that could be offensively, that could be defensively. It's mostly offensive, guys. Um, we see James Harden, gold, obviously. LeBron James, gold. Anthony Davis, gold. Uh, who is this? Dino Gallinari, bronze. That's an interesting one. Um, but it's it's just all of these different badges. I have a lot of fun with it. I think next year it'll be it'll be fun when we're tracking and having them update in season as the regular season goes along. And I'll talk more about this during the off season. But we can also look at these to spot players who are excelling in key areas that matter. We're not just measuring things that don't matter with these, but measuring key skills in identifying players as it's happening rather than months afterwards. So we're able to, in a way, be on the leading edge rather than lagging and having these as a lagging indicator because we're doing them manually and need to have the right reputation. If these guys spit out that X player is good at X skill and there are zero articles about it and nobody's talking about it, I don't care because that's what the data says. And I'd rather be on the leading edge of that in, in recognizing what's happening and driving that conversation rather than only producing things that reaffirm what people already believe. Um, we believe in what these are measuring, and I think you'll really enjoy them if you get a chance to check them out. We, again, have these in our data and tools package. So those are our badges. Let me go back to my notes. I'll pull out just some random stats and explain them and, and point out just a couple guys. We, we have hundreds of, of metrics in our player profile, so, so I can't quite go through every single one of them. But if I point out just some of the ones that 
I think will most clearly align to concepts that people already talk about. We have our pickpocket rating, which is looking just just like that pickpocket badge. Um, same sort of thing. Lou Dort ranks fifth among players who have played 500 plus minutes this year. Chris Paul ranks 12th. We have a passing lane defense metric that's looking at the rate of deflections and bad pass steals or interceptions a player is making. Um, Chris Paul, he's 14th. Robert Covington is 20th. Nerlens Noel is actually 4th. He's, he's been really good at this, and nobody talks about it. Loose ball recovery rate. Who is on the ground? Who are the gritty guys that are winning those battles for loose balls? Daniel House ranks 7th. P.J. Tucker ranks 17th. A metric that, uh, in, in I will say, not every single metric we have on our player profiles is something that we came up with, Krishna and myself, like just in the couple past couple of months. Some of these things are great numbers that uh, are great concepts that others have toyed with in the past and we've tried to continue, um, or just some of it is aggregating. But one concept that Seth Partnow, who writes for The Athletic, did, uh, had, I mean, led the analytics department for the Bucks in the past, uh, one metric that he created was rim point saved um, per 36 minutes. So this is looking at how often are you contesting shots at the rim and when you're contesting those shots, how are players shooting against you compared to what we would expect. And through those two things, trying to estimate how many points are you saving based off of what you're doing to the opposing team at the rim compared to if, if you weren't having those uh, contests. So Nerlens Noel, he ranks 16th among players with 500-plus minutes this season. Steven Adams ranks 19th. Another cool concept that we have been uh, looking at and producing content around is versatility. Um, looking at advanced matchup data that instead of saying, hey, you know what, uh, Alex Caruso defend, defended Chris Paul for this possession and just assuming he was with Chris Paul the whole time because... Often that's not the case. We know teams are switching often and they're cross-matching and they're rotating. And if, if your way of looking at matchups is player A defended player B the entire time, you're probably missing a lot of good context and a lot of good information. So this data is looking at those switches. It's accounting for who players are spending each portion of their defensive time guarding. And when we talk about versatility, we're really trying to gauge how wide a spectrum with some volume, is a player defending when they're on the court. So positional versatility is looking point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center. When we talk about that, it's not necessarily, hey, they're the best at defending that. It's just they are defending those players. It's more of a volume than a quality metric. Um, and that doesn't invalidate it. In fact, having those on our player profiles with the other dozens of metrics we have gives you all of those different data points so then you can make an informed holistic decision about how good or bad a player is at different things um we're not going to not use this metric just because it only looks at volume and isn't able to gauge quality that that would be doing a disservice to everyone so looking at this knowing what it means james harden ranks fourth among players with 500 plus minutes this season in positional versatility. P.J. Tucker ranks 13th. And, and that makes a lot of sense just with how often Houston is switching. We also have a matchup difficulty metric using that same data, but then looking at for the players that you are spending time guarding, what uh, caliber of importance are they to the opposing team's offense? Um, so you know, you're defending the other team's top option or second option or third option or, or sixth option. 
in terms of the tier, not necessarily number one uh, player. Terrence Ferguson ranks fifth. Lou Dort ranks seventh. Uh, and, and we see those guys taking on Harden quite a bit and, and Westbrook quite a bit this series. Darius Baisley has the ninth easiest matchups among players with 500 plus minutes this season. So that's an interesting one. I, I believe we have uh, Ben Simmons is first. I think Drew Holiday is second. Um, this is a matchup. Uh, this is a metric. This is a metric you can use to gauge matchups, and you can find the players who are truly actually being hidden on defense, um, which I think is an interesting thing to look at. And you know, it speaks to how poor of defenders they are. But I would rather have my team able to hide somebody than have a awful defender not being hidden and being exposed all the time. So. It gives us a sense, in combination with with everything else, how good of a defender you are, where you're good, where you're poor, and then your usage in terms of who you're defending, in terms of are they good, bad, are they versatile, are you only defending point guards, things like that. Um, there's a lot of insight that we can derive from the, from that sorts of data, those sorts of data. And then the last metric that I compiled was our foul trouble percentage metric, which is one that we use data from play-by-play stats for. Um, And we are defining foul trouble as having two or more fouls in the first quarter, three or more fouls in the second quarter, four or more fouls in quarters three and four, and then five fouls in overtime. So if you have two fouls in quarter one and you play 10 minutes in quarter one with two fouls, those 10 minutes will, will count towards being in foul trouble. But then in quarter two, if you have two fouls the whole time, that won't count as being in foul trouble because we up the requirement to having at least three fouls. So by looking at this, we can see which players are playing the highest percentage of their minutes on the court in foul trouble, um, which again, it's telling us what it's telling us. What it isn't telling us is how much time are they losing that they otherwise would have played because they were in foul trouble. So this is something that I'd like to dig deeper into because you may have players with similar similar fouling tendencies that are treated differently by their coaching staffs. And those coaching staffs may be auto-benching guys or playing them through foul trouble no matter what or somewhere in the middle. It's obviously a spectrum. But just looking at who has played the highest percentage of their minutes in foul trouble Houston, if we rank all the teams, Houston's number one. P.J. Tucker has been in foul trouble for 15% of his minutes, 14.6% of his minutes, which is most among players with 500-plus minutes this season. Russell Westbrook against the same group of guys, which is hundreds of players, sixth most. He's at 11.8%. James Harden, seventh most at 11.2%. And then first for OKC is Terrence Ferguson, who has been in foul trouble for 8.1% of his minutes, which is 24th highest. So I think that's an interesting one to look at. I know as a Laker fan, Dwight Howard's name stands out, and, and we see him night in and night out getting in, getting in foul trouble, and as such, he's got one of the highest rates of being in foul trouble. This has also been something that uh, is interesting for me to monitor because for the series against Houston, Oklahoma City going into that on the year just they were very good at not fouling. I think as a team, they were maybe in the bottom 20 or 30% of teams uh, in terms of having guys in foul trouble. But for this series, and let me see if I can pull up my notes, um, we have seen Houston just with the way they play, with how often Harden and Westbrook draw fouls, getting those players in foul trouble frequently. Um, Let me see if I can find it. 
I cannot seem to find it. Where are you? Oh, here we go. Okay, so let's go back to, so let's say Ludort. On the season, he's been in foul trouble 6% of his minutes. For this series, he's been in foul trouble for 16% of his minutes, which is, it would be like a top 3 or 4 uh, percentage on the entire season. Dennis Schroeder went up from 3% to 7%. SGA went up from 3% to 8%. Nerlens Noel went up from 5% to 9%. Chris Paul went from 1% to 3%. Um, so CB3, if we look at like the letter grade standpoint, he went from like a B to a C. Everybody else dropped all the way down to an F. That's four key rotation players dropping down to an F in this series compared to being much better over the course of the year. So that's something that we have seen, we'll continue to see. And if Houston advances against the Lakers, I would anticipate seeing more of, um, barring some defensive adjustments that I will break down in more detail in the article I'm working on and will release, again, if Houston makes it to the next round. And then also the video that, you know, same caveat, if if they win, it'll be out. If they don't win, it won't be out. Um, so I, just, just looking at that data, I, I think is pretty interesting to me i've play around in these player profiles player profiles forever um you can also see what other people are looking at kevin o'connor's in there right now looking at looks like james harden um and just having over 500 players with this many data points like hundreds of data points means that i'm not able to you know have all the insight this isn't you know tim has this data so tim knows what the data says I know what the data means and I know how to interpret it, but I'm not going to be up to date on everybody. Somebody was looking at DeAndre Bembry. I haven't looked at DeAndre Bembry's profile at all. Um, but looking at it now, I can go through and see, oh, you know, his defensive role was a wing stopper. Um, he has had slightly below average lineup spacing in the lineups he's played played in this year. The talent of the, te- uh, of the lineups he's played in has been poor. Um, his gameplay consistency has been poor his pace impact estimate is pretty high. When he's out there, the team plays faster. He's about average in terms of getting in foul trouble. He has matchups in high, harder than 93% of NBA players. Um, and, and just really quickly, you can pull up any player and see these contextualized metrics. You never have to remember what a good pull-up three-point percentage is. You never have to remember what... Uh, you, you never have to say, oh, well, both of these guys have the same exact field goal percentage at the rim. That means they're the, just as good at finishing at the rim because obviously players have different degrees of difficulty on the shots that they're taking. So these profiles, I think, are, will be a great tool for people, um, and, and we're continuing to add to them. Uh, we have more in the works. We're working on uh, several more talent grades and redoing those, and they'll come out with component ratings. So like interior defense, Christian's working on right now. Perimeter defense, I've been working on for several weeks. Um, I think rebounding will be... Uh, a couple easy ones to add but keep an eye out for those go check those out they have the badges in them as well um and and check out the leaderboards leaderboard tools as well so i think that's it for today we've introduced the three new talent grades or the talent grade 2.0 um we introduced badges oh we didn't even talk about offensive archetypes but we'll do that next time uh happy to have basketball back happy to be back um thank you for bearing with me as i talk for 50 minutes straight um but yeah Go, go follow the site on Twitter at, uh, not Tim, that's me, uh, the underscore b-ball underscore index. You can follow me on Twitter at Tim underscore NBA um, and, and go check out, I did, what, I think four articles and a video on the Portland series for the Lakers. Um, I will be doing 
giving them the similar treatment uh, against Houston, really talking the tactics, saying, hey, these are the plays that they run. Here's how I would defend them. Uh, here are the key things that get their offense going. Here's how I would try to stop them. Um, as it worked out for round one, and I mean, I claim no credit because they would have done this work ahead of time. I think 95% of the, I think over a dozen different tactical moves I recommended the Lakers changing to, to use, they ended up using. So it's, it's been cool to at least be seeing apparently what, what they're seeing. And, uh, it's been fun following along and watching and commentating on and analyzing the chess match that we're seeing in these games rather than just, Hey, the shots went in or the shots didn't go in. Um, that, that sort of stuff. So that is all for today. Um, I have been Tim Cranjus McBasketball, and this is the B-Ball Index Podcast. We'll see you next time.